Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. I am very excited to kick off today's show with Dr. Ellen Broughton, and she's written this great book called Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less, How to Rekindle Your Child's Motivation. If you want to find out more about the book as I'm speaking with her, you can visit the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Good morning, Dr. Broughton. Good morning. Congratulations on your book. It's so timely. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't expect it to be as timely as it was when I started writing it a few years ago, but it turned out to be. Tell me about the process of writing the book, because did it evolve through the pandemic, through what you were seeing as, you know, as a doctor and having these conversations with kids and parents? It definitely did. So before the pandemic, I I really wrote the proposal for this book. I I started thinking about it in 2018 and 2019 and what I want to write about again. And what I was seeing in my clinical practice as a child psychologist were a lot of kids who just had trouble being motivated, finding what they loved, finding a passion, finding a reason for, for doing what they were doing. And parents were really upset by this. And sometimes the kids were anxious or depressed, but sometimes there was really nothing other than sort of this malaise. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea, and it seemed like a good one. And then the pandemic happened just as I started to write the book. Ugh. And we realized that this was really affecting much more than just a subset of kids, yes. but that we were all, even adults to some extent, are feeling this issue of, you know, what is it that gives us a reason for living. Mm -hmm. What are the things that we're good at? What are the things that we love to do? And how do we find that and put some of that back into our lives? Yes. I always think of when I was studying intrinsic motivation when I was in grad school. And, you know, to me, that's so important of a concept because you're not driven by the grades or monetary reasons or materialism. It's you're just driven to get out of bed in the morning, something just really excites you. And and how do we instill kids to be intrinsically motivated? Well, that's a good question. And I do think that part of the reason why I'm seeing a lot of kids who aren't as motivated is exactly for what you just said, Mm -hmm. that we reward kids so much for an end goal, the end goal of getting into a good college. And even that starts early on in elementary school, even for some um, areas of the country. And so the the way we find our intrinsic motivation, that reason for doing something because we just love it, mm-hmm. is first of all to understand who we are. What are we good at? And kids are oftentimes told they're good at everything. They can do anything they want. And to some extent, that's not a bad message, but really we can't. Right. So part of it is finding, well, what am I good at? What do I love doing? And given the gift of time, what would I want to spend time doing? And our our culture is so fast-paced, our kids' lives are so packed, they don't have time to figure any of that out. Right. Um, you know what also I wanted to add is that it's so, you, you have to put yourselves in the uh, shoes of kids. So, you know, we have the pandemic, they've missed milestones, They're, they were confined to computer screens, some of them were just pretending they were paying attention and the screens were black and they're sleeping or whatever. And it was, it was so much despair. I mean, they missed milestones. They didn't have those connections. I mean, I don't have to tell you, but you, you know, they don't have the socialization and they've missed years of connecting and growing. 
Oh, completely. And those those two years are really hard to get back. And that low level anxiety that really we all felt, wherever, whatever, however anyone felt about vaccines or the or or COVID, we all felt anxious. And kids really feel that. And although they're pretty resilient, we just sort of expected everything to get back to normal. And we there's there's no sort of ending. Right. It's just sort of this. We're sort of taking that those, those those milestones that we missed, that that grief that we didn't really get to process mm-hmm. by just living through this event. We haven't really been able to put it past ourselves, and I'm not sure we ever will. I think this no. might just be how we get over a pandemic. I agree. Slowly, yeah. uh, you know, step by step, but it does make it harder than to find out, well, what path am I on and, and which direction do I want to go and, and how, do I, how do I find what I love doing? Exactly. And it's so, it's so important. So what, what would you suggest? How do they find something they love doing? So one of the things I talk about in the book is, is something I call the parenting app, which is sort of talking about the three components that help us figure out, okay, how do I find my motivation? And one is, which I mentioned before, knowing what I'm good at doing, our aptitude. So AP stands for aptitude, practice, and pleasure. And aptitude is sort of like really taking a good self-assessment on what is it that I'm good at doing. Now, that doesn't mean that we only do things we're good at. Sometimes we want to learn a foreign language, even though we're not very good at languages, just because we want to. But in order to be able to find that motivating, we need time to practice. And so that's another thing that we have to think about. What are we, what are we willing to spend time doing? And also then what gives us pleasure? And we're not very good in our culture about figuring out what gives us pleasure. It's one reason why many of us are, you know, running across the uh, you know the the uh, continent to go to Italy or Portugal for the summer because we're not very good at finding those ways of instilling pleasure on a day to day basis in our culture for many of us and and so kids feel that and finding the motivation is finding out how to infuse that kind of like thinking of this as a Venn diagram with you know what am I good at what gives me pleasure what am I willing to spend time doing finding out the center of those three things helps point us in the right direction for finding out how to get ourselves re-motivated. Yes. And I wasn't a, a very good student at all growing up. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so dumb. And, and I had to always get extra help when I finally had the courage to say I needed help. And But I was great at sports. Well, I wouldn't say great, but I was motivated for to play sports, and I enjoyed it, and I was very involved. And I liked to write, but academically, forget it. And I think you've described a lot of kids, and that's something that we have to keep in mind, that none of us are good at everything. And that student who is the scholar, athlete, and and doing all, you know, opening up a a nonprofit in high school, that's not the the rule, that's the exception to the rule. And really finding our own motivation in life and finding what makes us happy is to figure out well, I'm not so good at this, but I'm really good at that. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable not being good at this and figuring out how far I want to push myself in those areas that aren't naturally easy for me. And sometimes for kids, it's an undiagnosed learning disability. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just because not all of us have to like studying. Yes. And just like not all of us are going to be naturally gifted at sports, what we have to do is find, well, well what is it that 
that I'm good enough at that I really love doing, that's the key. It's not being great at everything, but the message we give to kids these days in lots of in lots of places is we need to be good at everything or nah, just don't even bother trying. Yes. And that makes it hard. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Dr. Ellen Broughton. This is KUCI 88.9 FM. She's written this great book with the forward by Sheryl Sandberg. It's called Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less, How to Rekindle Your Child's Motivation. So here's a question for you because uh, this is based on a conversation I had with someone who had applied to a lot of schools. So I, I met someone and she said, I took all these AP classes. I sacrificed a lot of my time and I studied so hard and I did really well in the AP exams. I have a 4.6. And, and I've seen people share TikToks of all of their college rejections with their 4.6. So what does this do to student mental health? Because I really think that colleges and universities should rethink this college application process and, and try to get to know the student as a whole person as opposed to a score and a number. I don't know what they're looking for. Oh, we could uh, we could talk for an hour just on this topic alone. <laughs> I think this issue that you brought up yeah. is one of the biggest reasons why kids have lost their motivation. Mm-hmm. And it, it even in not I'm not just talking about high school students. I'm talking about middle school and even elementary school students who have this idea that college is the end game and a good right. college is the best the end, ending of all. Exactly. And as you pointed out, there is no guarantee. No. And what colleges want are lots of applications because the more applications they get, the more selective they look. And so I don't see them changing a whole lot of what you're talking about anytime soon unless we start to look at what a selective college is. So that's part of the problem. The common application allows students to apply to many, many different colleges, some of which they're not even qualified for. And colleges like that, too, because it makes it look like they're more selective when they get so many more applications than they can fill. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that I do feel like what you're saying, that colleges aren't necessarily looking for that that person with the spark. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying this is across the board, all colleges by any means, but when they have so many applications, it really becomes much more of a random process than a selective process. Right. And it makes it hard for kids to stand out. And I had a, a parent tell me the other day in a suburban school system here in Boston who said that she was on a, a group chat or a, a listserv from parents And they said, you know, you have to start a nonprofit now. It's not enough to just volunteer as a high school student. You've got to start your own nonprofit to set yourself apart. This is not normal for kids. No. And it doesn't have anything to do with what they love doing or or even finding what they love doing, which is what the process of adolescence should be. It should be a lot of discovery and not a lot of, you know, sort of final kinds of decisions. I thank you for sharing that. I want to add that I also believe that students need to have some kind of uh, self-care, life skills, coping, so when they do go off to college, they'll be able to take care of themselves when life throws them numerous curveballs. Let's say they don't do well and they're not the popular kid or they have conflicts with roommates. And if they don't have coping skills and outlets that are non-academic, uh, 
their mental health is going to take a deep dive. I absolutely agree. And part of the problem, and I, I sort of mentioned this in the book, but, but not enough really, because it, part of the problem is that kids don't have enough responsibility. So they have a lot of pressure on themselves. That young woman that you talked about who took all of those AP classes, that's a lot of pressure, but it really doesn't come with a lot of responsibility. And by responsibility, I mean things like babysitting, being expected to mow a lawn, having a summer job, having a part-time job during high school, those sorts of things teach those coping skills that you're talking about. They teach skills like getting along with customers who might be different from you, being able to sort of take things in stride, being able to show up on time, the meaning of, of not disappointing a boss. All of those things aren't learned by kids because we don't require them to do the sorts of things like have a job at the Gap as opposed to taking extra AP classes and spending time studying when they're 16. I think there are other ways, other paths towards adolescence that can naturally teach those skills. And you talk about teachers helping. What, what can they do? I, you know, I think teachers, it's so funny because you know, we could talk and it sort of sound like we're blaming parents <clears throat> or sound like we're blaming teachers, and right. there's no one really to blame no, here. No. We've all sort of colluded with this fact that we want kids to be as, as best they can and so as part of that, we put these stressors on them and uh, hoping that they'll, they'll develop those sort of coping skills when really we're, we're doing the opposite. I think what teachers can do is to sort of assess what it is that they're asking kids to do, whether it's a second grade student for homework or a middle school or a high school student. What are you asking the child to do? And are those things you're asking the child to do developmentally appropriate? Are these skills ones that are going to help a child master tasks that are necessary for life? Or are they going to burden them at a time when they're not quite able to do these sorts of tasks? So thinking about what's developmentally appropriate, whether it's academically or socially or emotionally. And, and that, I think, is one of the most important skills teachers can do, but also to help kids understand who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, teachers know their students. They know a student who's good at math versus a student who's really adept socially or has a, a good emotional intelligence, and to foster that, those skills in their students in a way that helps the student be able to really realistically apprise who they are. I, I um, was thinking about how so many times parents want kids to live certain expectations and follow their path or a path they didn't take. And that's so much pressure on on students. And and parents like myself, we don't know what it was like for students the past couple of years. We don't truly know what it was like uh, to be secluded in their rooms, being online, missing their friends, et cetera, et cetera, as we talked about earlier. So what can parents do to kind of dial it down? Who, and they, they might feel very disconnected from their kids. I, one of the best things to do is just ask your kids lots of questions and open-ended questions. And then if they're not the sort of child who really opens up to you to share some things with them, kids like to hear about how you're struggling too. And so I think talking to your child about what it is that they've lost over the last three to four years, 
what sort of things you wish they'd had, the sorts of experiences that they didn't get, and then also sharing your own experiences with them. You know, talking to them about things like your own kind of temperament, your own sorts of expectations that you had, and owning up to the fact that, yeah, you're right. As parents, we always have expectations. We have children in part because we want to see them develop all the different things that we didn't get to do in our lives. And we've got to be able to own that and know when it happens, and that's okay that it happens, but we have to know when we're putting that kind of pressure on them. And then to also talk to your kids about, okay, well, what do you imagine now? What do you love doing? What are your goals for this year or this summer or this time of your life? What do you love doing? What makes you happy? And I've had parents come back and say to me, I don't know that I want to ask my child what makes them happy because what if he says video games and I I might not like what he says. And that's how afraid we are to have these sorts of conversations with our kids about what makes you happy or what do you desire or what what do you really want to do. And we need to open up that space. And I think what parents find is that for the most part, kids don't say video games make me happy. Video games are something we do because we can't think of anything else to do in the moment or because we're kind of addicted to them at that time period. But I'm talking about having bigger discussions about desires and happiness and, and, you know, the things that that we didn't get to do and sharing those sorts of experiences with our kids Mm -hmm. too. And I think you... You really have to take a step back because I remember when um, my dad years ago, I said to him, you don't want to try something different. And I, I, I was working in a dry cleaner for three summers. They had gotten me this job. And I said, I think I want to get an ice cream truck, you know, you know, rent one or whatever. And we did the math and I wasn't going to make enough money. And then I, I found College Pro Painters and I took a job with them, and it was completely different. He supported me 100%. They didn't love that I had paint in my hair all the time. But it was a, an amazing experience, and I had to push through fear of getting up on a huge ladder, and it was so much work. But they supported me in doing something different. I really was craving new experiences. Oh, I love this story. This is perfect, and I think there is too little of that right now in our parenting, that no parent wants to have the child who's painting houses or, or not going right on to college. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of kids also are, are having trouble finding their bliss, because when they say, well, I want to do exactly what you just said to your parents, yeah. parents say, uh, no, you can't. And so then you're sort of like stuck at ground zero, and you know, there's, there's no way to move through that. Well, my dad wasn't afraid like I would go on to be a foreman for the rest of my life. And and so what? He was in construction. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but to give them the opportunity to try and then they I moved on to something else, you know, and it's I think it's important to, because if my dad had said no, I probably would have done it anyway. You know, so but it created a, a greater bond between us because he was open. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's that idea about listening to our kids for these big sort of things. Many times we listen to our kids when they're being obstinate or, you know, I want that or I want this sort of thing. Or, But this sort of listening is very different. It's listening to I want to try something. I want to do something. And that can make parents feel anxious. Mm-hmm. It can make them feel like, oh, that's I didn't spend all this money for you to have 
be tutored or, or take these lessons for you to just do this for the summer. But yet we need to listen to kids when they say they want to try something that is outside of even our comfort zone. Completely. What else would you like people to know about the book? I think one of the things that I, I hope is in the book is that it, it can be helpful even for kids who are not having that much trouble with motivation. There's a lot in here that talks about how our own parenting relates to our kids finding their own voice and their own expectations and staying flexible as we parent over the years. What worked when our child was younger to get them motivated doesn't always work as they get older. So there's a lot in here about goal setting, about how to keep your child motivated, and also when to worry and what to do when you're wondering if this motivation is more than just a temporary sort of thing. Definitely. And and so have you seen, you probably have seen an increase in uh, patients because of the pandemic and, and parents reaching out to you for help? Most definitely. I mean, everybody in psychology and mental health found this to be the case. I feel like it, it sort of tapered off a little bit. So I think there was a big bottleneck during the ending of the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic, it was sort of, you know, chaotic in a way that everybody was sort of searching for what they even needed. So I feel like it's getting better. And But I feel like there's still a lot of grief out there that we haven't all processed. And for some people, it was major grief. They lost people. They lost um, money, they, you know, their economic security. And for others, it was a constant series of smaller losses, missed graduations, and those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. And I think it's going to take some time until we really get, get control of that and get past it. Definitely. Where can people find out more about you? So I do have a website, ellenbroughtonphd.com, and there's more information about the book on there and also some links to things that I've written as well as about um, motivation and, and other sorts of things related to parenting. Okay. And if they want to email you with any specific request or they want to schedule time with you, where could they find you? Absolutely. If you go to ellenbroughtonphd.com, there is a link that, that will say, uh, more information here, and I think it's the, the email. You just click on it, but it's info at ellenbroughtonphd.com, and I will get any of those emails that you um, send. Fantastic. I've been speaking with Dr. Ellen Broughton about her book, Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less, How to Rekindle Your Child's Motivation, with the forward by Cheryl Sandberg. Congratulations. This is a very profound and timely book. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Ellen Broughton, you can find out, uh, you can listen to it and uh, find out more about her on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to listen to a song from Cindy Alexander. This is called Messy. And then I'm going to uh, share my conversation with her. And you can find out more about Cindy Alexander on the show blog. Again, that is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org.